Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. I don't know if you remember the first sermon of this particular uh, series. It has been a while back, but as we have continued through this this book, that this letter that Paul writes to a young missionary, there is one theme that keeps getting talked about over and over and over. What is it? Good works. Doing good. Let that be what you are known for. That when people look at you, Titus, when people look at the people that you're ministering to, make sure that they understand that they need to be defined by good works. Why are works important? Do works save us? No, but works show that we have what? Starts with an F. Faith. It shows that we have faith. It shows that I believe that there is a God and that He died for me and that He blesses me and that He does all these things for me. And since I know that and understand the power of that, then I am going to do things that bring honor and glory to Him. And basically what that means, that's... I mean, honor and glory is a, is, is, I mean, they're, they're legitimate words, but sometimes they're church words. You know what I mean by that? They're church, we use them, but, and it makes our, our sermons or our class or our prayer sound good, but we're not completely sure what it means. When, when I think of giving honor and glory to God, what I think the easy way of saying it is, it just gives Him credit. It gives Him credit for the things that He's done. And, and, and in the most powerful way that I can give someone credit, that I can bring glory, that I can bring honor to Jesus, I need to be doing that. And I do that through the things, through the works that I do. And Paul says, Titus, those works need to be good. Now you may think that's an obvious thing, right? Your works need to be good. But some people don't get that. Some people don't get that. Go with me to start tonight to the beginning of 1 Timothy. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in a very similar letter. A lot of similarities between the book of Titus and the book of Timothy. He starts in verse 3. I urge you, or I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer. Or... Uh, any longer, or to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, because or such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Now that's where he starts with Timothy. Look where he ends with Titus. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. So there are people in the church that Titus is dealing with, that Timothy is dealing with, and that every preacher that has ever walked into a church building has dealt with. And that is people who think that the works of... of What's the word I'm looking for here? The, do what? Okay, the work of dissension. How about that? The work of causing problems is their spiritual gift. Have you ever met anybody like that? That causing trouble seems to be someone's spiritual gift. Some of you are grinning, so I know that you know people like that. And Paul says there's a certain way you deal with these type of people. 
There's a certain way that you go about handling these types of issues. Because these type of issues do not promote good works. They're not what we need to be about. Now, how do you know if you're a person that is promoting good works or negative works in the kingdom? Well, as we think about that idea, I want you to go with me to the book of Philippians. We'll spend a few moments in the book of Philippians as a way to kind of hash this out. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, first thing I want you to see is this. Your relationship with God should affect your life. It should change you. It should do things to you. It should make you feel things that you don't normally feel. It should make you engage in things that you don't normally engage in. And that's the first part there of that verse. And this section is that being united with Christ changes who you are. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Now, if we are going to be people that are about good works, he said, you're going to have to be someone who is, or a church, a group of people who are like-minded. Who are like-minded. Now, let me ask you something. Look around the room. Everybody look around the room. Do we have everything in common in this room? Do we? Do we have everything in common? We could start talking football, and in 30 seconds we realize what? We don't have everything in common. Some of us are right, some of us are wrong. And that just depends on who you ask, right? My favorite idea in Scripture comes from Acts chapter 2. And it is the idea that when this new mega church that has now been saved and is uh, present in, the, in Jerusalem, it says they had all things in common. Now, if my memory serves me correct, and it very well might not, there are 16 different languages that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2 of, of the groups that they could hear the apostles speaking in those tongues. 16 different languages. There's probably more regions and places and cultures that are uh, there. But it says as they became children of God, they had all things in common. Thousands of people became Christians that week. Did they have everything in common? Everything? What did they have in common? The Word of God. They had Christ. They had salvation. And that trumped every difference that they had. They had that one thing in common. And it was the greatest thing. And they were like-minded in that direction. And because of that, regardless of their differences, they were able to come together do good works, teach great things, accomplish things that, that the church maybe has never accomplished since in the book of Acts. So he says, be like-minded. Have the same goal. Move in the same direction. 
He says, have the same love. Be united in one spirit and one mind. So as you're trying to maybe do some self-inventory here and say, am I someone that's this foolish person that's causing problems? One way that you could think about that or try to figure out is, as you see our leadership pointing us in a direction, okay, as the leadership is pointing us in a direction, and you're an individual who constantly argues with that direction, or is not satisfied with that that direction, not because of biblical issues, but because of personal issues, then you are a divisive person. You're causing conflict that doesn't need to be caused. You're, you're, you're causing issues that should not have to be dealt with. You need to be like-minded with those around you, moving in the same direction. Like-minded churches grow. Because they're moving towards a purpose. They're moving in a direction. Then he says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There is a man that I grew up with that was a, a dad of one of the guys in our youth group. And he was a very community-minded individual. But he always loved, as far as the community goes, he always loved to ask you to volunteer for something. Now, there's nothing wrong with volunteering. But when he came up to ask you something, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever he was asking you to do was going to benefit himself greater than it was going to benefit anybody else. Selfish ambition. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to volunteer to do it. I'm going to guilt you into it. And it's going, to be, it's going to make me look good at the end. All of your hard work, all of your great effort, it's going to make me look good at the selfish ambition. Vain conceit. I may have told you this before. I don't remember if I've touched on this passage or not. But my granddaddy said one time about my brother, I wish I could buy him for what he's worth. And sell him for what he thinks he's worth. Vain conceit. If you've got those type of attitudes to where everything that you touch works out to make you look better than everyone else, maybe you've got some selfish ambition and some vain conceit going on in your life. Verse 4. Or rather, the end of verse 3 says, Rather, instead of being that way, be this way. In humility... Value others above yourself. Do you know what the main problem is in our country? This, and I truly believe this. This is Matthew's opinion and diagnosis of our country at this time. Everybody forgets that my personal agenda is the most important. If everybody would just remember that my personal agenda is the most important, everything would work out. But here's the problem. Tyler doesn't think my personal agenda is the most important. Who does he think is most important? In my aunts. His own. And Ricky, he's not worried about my agenda. He's worried about his agenda because his is the most important. And that's the world that we live in. My life, the way I want things to happen, the way I want things to work out, that's the most important. And if you don't understand that, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. And Paul puts an end to that. And he says, <coughs> rather value others above yourself. 
Don't worry about your own personal agenda. Worry about the needs and the agenda of someone else. Not looking at your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You see, when we live that type of life as individuals and create that type of attitude in the church, we're not going to be able to have room for the negative. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast as we were coming back from our um, 10-year anniversary trip. We were driving back from, where were we driving back from? We went on a cruise. Charleston. I think Columbus was in my mind, but I knew that's not where we were. We were coming back from Charleston. And I was listening to this guy. He is a, uh, a, a business guy, preacher. He talks about leadership a lot. His name is Kerry Newhoff. Great, great guy to listen to. And he talked about one of the most difficult things to do in a church is to push out the negative, is to push out these things that Paul talks to Timothy and to Titus about. Because as you begin to create this environment of positive, the negative is going to push back just as strong as the positive is being created. So there's always this back and forth. And the negative is so good. The people who are negative are so good at being negative that they're going to claw their way and try to keep that negative vibe going. But eventually, if you stay the course, eventually you can push out negative people in your church. And you may say, well, Matthew, we're not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to push people out. Go back to Titus and look at what he says right here. Warn a divisive person once. Okay? If someone's living their life in a way that is tearing down the good that the church is doing, that's causing conflict, then you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. And I want to be clear about this for a second. It's not just our elders who have the responsibility of warning a divisive person. Is Titus an elder? No. He's just a preacher. And can I tell you something? You may think a preacher has a lot of authority. I don't, and I'm glad. I get some leeway from time to time with things. I, I get some, some ability to create, but as far as making big decisions, as far as making the decisions of, of the direction of the church, I got input. They listen to my thoughts. But these four men, they make the decisions. And the older I get, the longer I'm a preacher, the more glad I am that I'm not responsible for those things. But he doesn't say, hey, elders, you're the one in charge of dealing with these divisive people. He's telling all of us, if you see someone that's bringing the church down, sit down and warn them. That's your job as a brother in Christ. To, you know, and, and that individual may respond. I have never met an individual who is a negative person to respond well to sitting down and talking to a group of leaders because... They feel attacked. They feel like they've been put on the spot. They, they, they feel very intimidated. Maybe not intimidated. They won't admit it. But their natural response is going to be even more negative. It's a lot more beneficial when someone you love, someone that knows you, sits down and says, Neil, I've noticed some things. You know, we go way back. I go probably way back 
I go way back with David because he's the first guy I talked to. And then I started talking to Neil. So next to David, I know you more than anybody. So I'm going to use, we go way back. We go four whole months, man. I know this isn't you. I know, I, I, I know you're just, when you have those personal conversations, they tend to be more effective than dragging them before a group of people. That's why Jesus said to start that way. Go to that person and talk to them. And then he says, go to them again with, with another friend that probably loves them just as much. And he says, look, go to them a first time and then go to them a second time. And after that, what does it say? What does your Bible say? After that, just let them keep being and just keep hanging out with them. What does it say? Have nothing to do with them. That's not a very popular message in our culture, is it? The culture of accountability, especially in the church. But there has to be accountability. Have nothing to do with them. Push that negative out of your midst so that you, so it's not influencing you. So it's not, so that the devil doesn't gain a foothold through that. He said, because those people are what? They're warped and sinful. They're warped and sinful. Those are some other hard words that we don't like. We like the words glory, honor, forgiven, grace. We don't like to look at people and go, they're warped. They're warped. You start talking, school teachers, you start talking about parents in your schools and you call them warped to the administration or even to their face. How, how well is that going to work out for you in your job? Well at all? No. Anybody, I mean, it's, it's, we just don't talk about people that way. But Paul does. And I'm not saying we have the same authority as Paul. I said, but Paul, but, but Paul recognizes, hey, there are some people that are just warped and sinful, and you're not going to be able to do anything with them on your own. And so sometimes you just have to disassociate from them. You have to cut that negative out to keep the positive moving in a great direction. Those few verses, though, they're so counter church, even church culture. Because the church culture is one of, we want to just accept you for who you are and where you are. And you'll hear me say that. And I truly believe that. But there comes a point that when you have been accepted with where you are and who you are, God expects you to grow from that point. And there are some people that spend their whole life never growing and never moving on and never getting on board. And Paul talking to Timothy or Titus here says, look, there's a certain way you deal with those people. And it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be what you want to do. But sometimes it has to be done. Because in order to do good, in order for good works to be the thing that you're about, you have to avoid the negative. You have to avoid the negative at all costs. Because the negative will ruin any good that you try to do. And that's the first thing he says here. And then finally, we see in his final remarks, remarks that are very similar to other passages and other thoughts as he is just kind of giving a personal rundown. But, a, but one thing in particular that I want you to, to maybe pull from, he said, as soon as I send Artemis and Tychias to you, do your best to come to me at Nicolopolis because I have decided to winter here. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have entrusted, have everything they need. 
Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide the urgent need and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends your greetings. Send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. As you look to verse 12 through 14, the word that pops through my head or into my head as I read these verses is servanthood. It's servanthood. Here's Titus doing all this work. And he says, look, there's some things that are coming up. There's some guys. He's basically saying, I'm going to send some guys to take your place. And then you're going to come to me. But in the middle of all of that, there's going to be some guys coming through that basically help them kind of restock and move on their way so that the message keeps getting preached, so that people keep serving. Okay, This thing that we're about never ends. It's about servanthood. And if I can, if I can sum up the entire book of Timothy along the idea of doing what is good, I think about the word servanthood. Because servanthood is about putting other people's needs before you. It is making yourself humble like Jesus. As you look at, back in, in, in Philippians, that paragraph that we read from chapter 2, it ends, or be, the next paragraph begins with this idea, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he's going to move on through this next few verses and he's going to lay out how Jesus was first and foremost above everything else, a servant. You see, a servant, a servant of a master, is concerned about doing one thing, and that is what the master wants. And our master, our savior, our God, wants us to focus on and be about good things, to be about grace, to be about love, to be about all those positive church words. And that kind of sums up the end of this book, of the book of Titus. Titus is a great three-chapter book and, and deals with a lot of things in a very quick way. But above all, I hope that you walk away from this study over the last few months of realizing that in our life, in our life, we are challenged to do good. And as you leave this place tonight, I hope that's the focus of yours moving forward is to make sure in every situation that you do good for other people. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the chance we've had to just be together and fellowship with each other and encourage one another, God. I thank you for just the day of worship that we've had, the opportunity to, to focus on your son's sacrifice through our time of communion, the opportunity to sing songs that we know and are not just sung to the ceiling of this room, but rather they enter into your throne room and they bring you great joy. We also know that those songs are meant to encourage us as individuals and to bring us closer together. I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. And I pray that that time has been beneficial to all. God, I pray this evening for those that need you in any way those that are lost and, and are not your child and need to have their sins washed away in baptism, God, may they allow your spirit to convict them tonight and lead them to that decision. Help them to not wait any longer. I pray for those that just need to refocus and come back to you and, and just live a more productive life, a good life, God. We thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for his willingness to say, I will set things right. I will defeat sin. 
He didn't have to do it, God. You could have come up with another way. But Jesus said, I am the way. Let us always follow that way, God. Let us always be encouraged by that and convicted by that. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. There is a God. He is alive. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.